Hello, and welcome to episode 18 of the Sustainable Business Covered podcast. Now, so far, 2017 has been a pretty unforgiving year for the ED team. We've got Obama's last kind of shakes and moves out in the US with the looming presence of a Trump administration. But we've also had to contend with the rapid growth of our own Sustainability Leaders Forum, which is taking place next week. We're putting in the last minute preparations to make sure that is the event that it should be for you guys. And with that in mind, it's been left to me, ED Senior Reporter Matt Mace, to steer this ship for this episode. Now, it may be 2017, but I actually want to take us back in time a little bit. I want to take us back beyond our interview with Dr. Alex Stub- Alexandra Stubbins last week. I want to take us back beyond New Year's Eve, where we kind of celebrated the start of a new year and probably the end of a rather taxing year. I want to take us back beyond Christmas Day. In fact, I want to take us all the way back to early December, where I braved the frosty streets of London to go to Diageo headquarters. Now, for those that don't know, Diageo is a huge drinks and whiskey firm based in the UK. They do a lot in this sphere, and I'm sure a lot of you already know who they are. A lot of stuff on water use, which is clearly a big issue for a drinks firm. A lot of stuff on CSR and really innovative company that have sustainability, as the cliche goes, embedded at the heart of the company. But it rings true with these guys. It really does. Now, it may have taken place last month, this interview, but it actually fits in quite timely with next week. Um, David Croft is the Sustainability Development Director at Diageo, and he's speaking at next week's event. Um, we try to organise a chat of him closer to this time, but... As you're about to hear, his schedule is quite hectic. So December it was, but you know what? It's still a great interview and the points he has to make still ring true today. Now, it's not just me and him sitting down in a bar with a glass of whiskey chatting about sustainability, as good as that would be. I did enjoy a glass or two of whiskey over Christmas. I'm sure you all did. Side note, recommend mixing it with chocolate milk. It's a bit out there, but it works. Just trust me. But his head offices are great to really kind of capture what they're all about. There are... There are kind of messages painted all across the walls. It's a real scene setter for for their the sustainability credentials, if I can say that right, and their behaviour change program they've been trying to drive. And the company as a whole has really benefited benefited from that. I feel. But when I sat down with David, I had a chance to him to speak about leadership and sustainability. Very relevant considering next week it's our own Sustainability Leaders Forum, which is now a two-day event this year. So it's bringing together ambitious professionals, moving beyond environmental objectives to deliver transformational change and create brand value. We're going to be hearing from the likes of Forum for the Future, BMW, Scottish Power Renewables, Heathrow Airport, Statoil, Danone, Unilever, anyone who's anyone is, is kind of there. This isn't me selling it to you, I hope. This is just me being very proud of the kind of project we've put together. David is also speaking there. And just before I play you his interview in full, I will mention that next week we're bringing you another special podcast. It's a behind-the-scenes look at the Sustainability Leaders Forum and Awards. Um, I'll be trying to source a few interviews with some of the delegates there, some of the judges from the awards and some of the speakers there to deliver a real kind of insightful thing of not only what it's like to be at one of these events, but what the experts who are there have to say and their feedback. But without further ado, here is my interview with Diageo's David Croft in full. So I am out in London uh, this morning. I am sitting next to uh, David Croft, the Sustainable um, Development Director at Diageo. Uh, David, thank you very much for inviting me into into your office for this chat this morning. And um, I think our readers, basically, for this whole month, are are getting a bit of insight into some of the kind of sustainability leaders around various uh, companies, and it's your turn today. (laughs) So, um, again, thank you for this chat. And I suppose just to start off... um, it's, it's a very broad question, but I feel also is a good to start a kind of early life. Kind of what, what kind of brought you into this kind of area of sustainability? Was it something you had 
carved out and you decided from a young age this is what you want to be to or is it kind of as you went through education it kind of just developed I wish I could say there was a cunning plan Matt um, <laughs> no I mean I started work um, on doing environmental and public health and I guess part of that was about um, sort of shared value creation um, very much working with people in um, the community and around um, the local authority where I worked and a lot of it was also to do with issues such as um, environmental pollution, environmental protection, water supplies and so on like that. And I, I guess that gave me a very broad um, background um, thinking about you know, ecosystems, how people fit into ecosystems, how business especially fits into ecosystems, and also that people are at the heart of um, those systems and make them tick. And that led me... Um, then to go and work at, at uh, Cooperative Retail, uh, which was really exciting. It was the time when the co-op was doing an awful lot of work around responsible retailing, um, and I was able to talk to lots of consumers, lots of people within business, a whole spectrum of business from farming all the way through manufacturing to retail, um, up and down a global supply chain, and it just helped me see a little bit more about how things in business can fit together to create a more sustainable future. And, and much of the stuff that we were doing then at the co-op in the sort of late 90s, um, around the turn of the century, was very much around how you bring sustainability into practice in a way that consumers can see it and can, can um, see that what they're interested in is actually coming through in the products that they're buying. And I was fortunate to be able to launch lots of fair trade products, to do a lot of work on nutrition and diet and health, to think about environment and how organic farming, integrated farm management would fit together and lessons could be learned. And to try and you know, build, think about how you would build supply chains from literally from, from field to fork that would be more inclusive and more um, sustainable in terms of the ecosystems and the environment. And because of the range of products that the co-op had in its um, food and non-food range, it was hugely exciting and a great opportunity to see different parts of um, the, the spectrum of the whole of the, the sustainability agenda. Um, I then was also very fortunate I, I, to move to, to Cadbury. Um, I, I, I've, I've been lucky that I, I've worked for, I've always worked for business, maybe I've sought them out, but I've always worked for businesses where values were very much at the heart of what the company stood for. You know, the co-op first, Cadbury from its Quaker origins, um, then on to Waitrose and now at Diageo, very you know, strong values-driven businesses. And at Cadbury, I, I, I was really able to, I think, leverage um, a FTSE 100 PLC's um, approach and scale to try and create um, inclusive supply chains and to tackle serious issues like child labour, but also connect it and understand that you know, what's at the heart of that risk is around people's livelihoods and how you can connect a business agenda and a social agenda was fundamentally at the heart of, of what we did at Cadbury. And, and to build the Cocoa Life program that's great to see Crafts uh, Mondelez still developing um, you know, w was an absolute honour. But what it means is that you see things happening on the ground. You see um, farmers um, 
improving their, their yield from their small fields and you see the difference that makes to them. Even now I see that coming through with, with Diageo. I was, I was in Ethiopia the other month talking to a, a lady who probably has two or three hectares. Because of the work that we've been doing with them in growing barley, it's doubled her productivity, it's doubled her livelihood. It means, as she told me, I can keep my four children still going to school. And you know that's when you start to see the fruits of your labours at a micro level like that and then at a macro level when you join thousands and thousands of farmers up and you know, that's what we were doing at Cadbury that helped Cadbury Dairy Milk become fair trade and it's also what we're doing here uh, at Diageo with thousands of farmers across Africa and indeed in other parts of the world and I guess for me that's what encapsulates it. It allows the way, the, the way I look at sustainability is it's allowing creating an ability to create shared value where business can grow and add value through that business to the communities where it, where it operates, where it sources, where it manufactures its products, where it sells its products, in a way that you create a really inclusive opportunity. And um, that doesn't mean business has to change its direction by 90 degrees. It's a subtle but a very important shift just to make certain that um, it sees its operations not in isolation, but is absolutely connected to and dependent upon the communities that it works with. And for me, that's where the shared value really comes through. And um, you, you mentioned that you, whether by chance or whether you, you know, maybe subconsciously thought that these are out these companies you worked for that had these kind of strong shared value platforms or, or an ethos to begin with. Um, in terms of your kind of personal development, how enabling has, has those types of environments been? I imagine it's a lot easier to really push this through when you've got um, companies that are actively pushing responsible retail as part of their corporate strategy. Well, I mean, I, it's never easy um, because you still have to make, um, you still have to find the sweet spot for a business. Um, I think the businesses I've worked for have always had an eye on the shared value potential, you know, the co-op, because it was owned by consumers, Cadbury, because of the philanthropic nature of, of, of the Quaker origins of it, um, Waitrose, um, another cooperative, a partnership, and Diageo, again, the origins of Diageo from, from brands like Guinness or, or Alexander Walker, who launched Johnny Walker, um, that, that, that all of those companies have an ethos of shared value. But shared value doesn't mean just creating value outside the business. You still have to create value inside the business. And if you want to do big, bold, significantly impactful things, you need to create that, that balance for the business and for the community. If it's only for the community, then that's charitable. And business doesn't really work like that if it's going to invest at scale. And the, the challenge is always to find that sweet spot um, where just a subtle shift in how you work can create that duality um, so that more people benefit. And in all the businesses I've worked for, what I have found is an openness to, the, to be able to consider that you can do things in a, in, a, in a certain way that both grows the business and grows your contribution to the outside world, which we depend upon for our existence in business. Um, uh, but you still have to come up with the right, the right examples. You still have to come up with the right ideas. And... Um, and you have to join things up in a creative, innovative way. And I think for me, this is where sustainability 
you know, it gets gets hugely exciting. It is not, you know, just about what you know what the next environmental issue or what, next, what the next labour rights or human rights issue. All of those things are fundamentally important. But the the most exciting stuff is the creative um, and innovative approaches you can bring and join things up differently. Um, and what strikes me about values-driven businesses is that they're open to a whole range uh, of different opportunities. I mean, we in Diageo talk about opportunity first, risk second, whereas a lot of other people talk risk mm-hmm. first and opportunity second. And you know, I think that's symptomatic of how we can then start to look at the world that we exist in and find ways of creating that shared value opportunity. Okay, and in terms of, you mentioned you know, opportunity first... Is, is that a kind of a mindset you've then had to install, um, you know, throughout the, whole, throughout the whole company in terms of getting other people on board for, for your role as a kind of sustainability director? That's something is that you're still kind of not meeting with friction, but, you know, behaviour change is one of, the, one of the big kind of internal drivers that's perhaps um, causing a bit of a hindrance for a lot of companies. I think, I think sustainability people are agents of change, full stop. You know, and I think in order to create change, you need to think about, well, what will motivate the people I'm working with? How do I connect with them? What, you know, and what motivates um, somebody in one part of a business versus somebody in another part of a business can be totally different. It's important to bring balance um, and think about, yes, this could be a, a very positive business conversation and this could be a, a, a broader social conversation and this could be a reputational issue and this could be a short-term win versus a medium to long-term win. And, and think about, you know, how do you, how do you get the right balance of those things to create um, a desire within the business, A, to, to think broadly about the issues of sustainability, um, and B, to see that it can grow and, uh, and, and build its own activities at the same time as doing things outside of the business. Uh, one of the big shifts we've made within Diageo is, is to progressively move more and more towards that core sustainability embedded within the business. Um, it's not about philanthropy. Um, I, if sustainability was all about philanthropy or charity, then the scale of investment um, would not be adequate to hit the targets that we've set for ourselves, let alone make the contribution towards you know, the sustainable development goals that business needs to make. Um, if you if if a business is going to invest six seven figures in um, in activity, then it has to have a real core connection to that business's own activities, and so that, that's where that's why I always think about it. If or if we can shift the direction of travel of our business by two three degrees, we leverage and harness the investments that that business makes, which is way more. Um, than we would ever invest, um, perhaps, in a, um, a philanthropic approach. And, and that way you're designing products with a sustainability uh, mindset. You're designing something for the future. You're thinking about how they will be, how those products, the ingredients for those products will be sourced and how you set that sourcing system up. You're thinking about how those, in our case, how products will be consumed and how we work with consumers at Diageo to, um, to emphasise... Um, a responsible alcohol message, a responsible consumption message, which is hugely important to us. Um, we design factories um, for the medium to long term. And in theory, that, that should go without saying. 
Um, but unless you're thinking about what um, a low carbon, low water environment um, that you will operate in, um, significantly more so over the, ne- over the coming 10 to 20 years, then you design, you design things in a here and now place. And that's not constructive. Um, and there's huge opportunities for, for thinking in that way. Um, first move advantage, positioning yourself from a, a brand's perspective, adding value now to the business and adding value to the, com- to the communities where you operate. Um, for example, the work that Diageo is doing on, on our water blueprint is about the water that we use in our factories, not just in water-stressed areas but everywhere, but obviously especially in water-stressed areas, and, and we operate in a number. Um, so how do we minimise the water we use per litre of beer or litre of um, spirits produced? But also, how do we work with the local community to ensure that they also have a sustainable water supply and actually also sanitation, which is why through our Water of Life programme in Africa we've um, helped to deliver safe uh, water and sanitation for almost 12 million people. Um, because it's inequitable to think about having a manufacturing site um, with great water supplies if the communities around that manufacturing site don't also have good water supplies. The two are intrinsically linked. And then thirdly, we also think about um, you know, what's our wider um, remit within this? Um, how are we working with um, governments or states or um, to, to think about water catchment areas? What's our role now and for the future? In, in contributing towards a sustainable um, water catchment area because we're dependent upon that. And then lastly, the fourth element of our water um, blueprint talks about how we um, basically work in an advocacy conversation to promote better water management and, and long-term water management. And for me, you know, those, those four things really encapsulate what we have to do within Diageo as a leader on the water agenda. If we don't have water, then our products just won't exist. But if we have water and other people don't, then our products won't exist. And so all the time we're building what we hope is an inclusive and a sustainable platform for our business to work on, on that water and wash agenda, which is why we work with the communities, we work with international agencies, we work with civil society, we have a, a strategic partnership with WaterAid on WASH, um, that helps us to frame our activity in conjunction with everybody else's activity. If we see ourselves in isolation, then it's not a sustainable future. We have to see ourselves in collaboration with everybody else. And having just come back from um, a week in Nairobi with the Global Partnership for um, Development Cooperation, you know, this UNOECD um, discussion, um, the one goal of the SDGs that probably is the hardest to crack is number 17 about great collaboration but unless we sort that collaboration out then our ability to deliver the other 16 goals is increasingly limited in my opinion and the approach that we take at Diageo and the approach that I've taken throughout my career is to try and work with the people who can help you put things together and make a difference and make a, make a significant impact. And then business brings its own skills, mm-hmm. but civil society, consumers, governments, suppliers, any other partners and stakeholders bring their own set of skills. 
And when you put those things together in the melting pot, then my goal is to how is, well, how do I help make the whole greater than the sum of the parts? And I think we're, we're making some traction on that. That's good to hear. I'm, I'm glad you brought up the SDGs. That's actually one of the things I want to focus on. But just before I do that, um, you mentioned um, you kind of went out to um, Ethiopia recently and, and saw a few of the farmers. And obviously, a lot of the companies you work for deal with these hugely complex supply chains, not just Tiago, mm-hmm. but obviously you had uh, Cocoa Life stuff at Cadbury. Mm-hmm. Even when you were at Waitrose, that's probably around the time that the whole horse meat scandal really kicked off across the retail. It's it's a hugely complex task, method and supply chain. So how how does um, Diageo or yourself kind of from this almost like London office, then what kind of skills are needed to ensure that you are getting your supply chains in order, not just like ethically sourcing, but promoting better life standards for the people out there as well? Well, I, I think um, Diageo is a, is a global company with phenomenal local roots whether it's in Scotland and around the distilleries or whether it's in Kenya where I've just come back from with Tusca beer or Meta beer in Ethiopia or Zacapa rum in Guatemala or Ipioca rum, uh, Cachaca in Brazil. You know, they're fantastically strong local businesses who have an intrinsic link to the communities at their heart. And so that helps you really understand what goes on at grassroots. You've still got to drive to get transparency and visibility um, because supply chains, as you you said yourself, Matt, are complex, often through multiple agents, um, that makes visibility difficult. But I'm a firm believer that if if you can create a transparent supply chain, then your ability to um, add extra value within it, both social value and um, economic value, significantly goes up. And in doing so, you also protect yourself from the risk that could arise in that supply chain. Um, if I think back to the work um, both at the co-op and at Cadbury and at Waitrose, it was all about knowing where those, how those supply chains functioned and who were the actors in them. Um, the horse meat conversation, Waitrose knows all of its own beef suppliers. That stands you in very great stead. Um, because you know where it's coming from, you know which thousand or so farmers you're working with, you know who is processing it, and there's only one person processing it. Um, and you know you're not, it's not a traded commodity, because you can point to the farm and know exactly where the, the, the cattle have been raised. Um, in the case of Cadbury, a much more complex uh, and, and larger scale supply chain. But within the cocoa programs, we began to work closely with individual communities, helping to build farmer collectives um, that, that supported that supply chain. But also, in doing so, you, you tackle two things. You're able to understand what's happening on smallholder farms in a way that perhaps had not been visible to many others in the past. And you can start to understand what motivates farmers, their families, their whole communities. And so you can help both tackle the challenges of poverty and child labour in smallholder farming by also creating a solution that benefits the sector and in that case it was about improving farmer livelihoods through improving farmer productivity um, and that, that better supported a stable supply chain for the business but also put more money into people's pockets and by creating well actually not creating that's not the right word we enabled the community to mobilise and deliver it on its own aspirations because when you talk to those smallholder farmers 
first and foremost, they all want things to get better for themselves. And all we did was really help them achieve that aspiration and provided some specifics in terms of better access to fertilizer, better access to better planting materials, some training on good productivity and agronomy, although they did know quite a lot of that already. Okay. Um, but when you put that together, the ownership that those communities took meant that they were going to drive productivity improvement because we gave them the tools to do that for themselves and they were going to make certain that things like making sure their children were in school and the school was there for them would happen and what we saw was hugely empowered communities with stronger livelihoods and actually better access to education um, I remember once you know one particular lady standing up when we visited there with um, a number of the um, the executives from Mondelez after, um, in, in, in more recent times and a lady stood up and said thank you very much um, actually w we now know that our farming is better our children are in school and actually your work in this community is done because we'll keep it going you need to get down to the, to the town down the road because they need some more support now and you know that was hugely rewarding not just because of what she said but the fact that a woman in a community in West Africa felt empowered enough to stand up in front of the elders in the village and all these visitors from Europe and America and say what she said. That made the difference because we enabled people like her to take ownership of their futures and deliver their aspirations, which we all have. And so the, if you know how the supply chain works and how it is structured, that's important but then you couple that with an understanding that you only gain by talking to people in the supply chain about why it works as it does and what their motivations are and what their aspirations are and if you can build those two things together you can create a truly inclusive and sustainable supply chain for the future that creates optimism and opportunity for the people involved but also helps you as a business at the other end of the supply pyramid, um, manage the risks that inevitably exist around the world. And then, so I'm guessing communication is, is kind of the big thing I'm, I'm picking up from there. Being able to not only pass on the correct like data and information, but also the right messages. But um, at the risk, you know, you, you mentioned just at the beginning of that question, you know, from Brazil to Africa, the amount of places that you're having to to go to to pass this message on. There's, there's probably a danger of it becoming a bit like a Chinese whispers where it could get lost in translation at some point. So how, how often are you having to rely on, like a, on a trusted team? And, and how big is your kind of sustainability team here? The sustainability team here, um, I've, I've never had a huge sustainability team. I, I don't believe you need a big sustainability team. You need a big sustainability um, argument, mm. an influencer or reason, if you like. Um, and, and those are fairly clear. Um, you need then I think a simple message um, because a message that everybody can um, recognise, engage with and know what each of them in their own roles will bring to the agenda. Um, in a way, 10 years ago the question was, well 20 years ago it was about how do you embed safety in everybody's job. And if you follow the Bradley curve and we get into interdependency, then you've succeeded because everybody is thinking about a safe operating environment all of the time. The same then became true about quality. And everybody in a business 
um, should be engaged with the quality of whatever that business is delivered. For me, sustainability is exactly the same thing. I don't need a huge team. I need engaged people who know how they can build some of these ideas into their day-to-day -day job. And my role is to show them examples, show them opportunities, create a few um, ways of working, but really try and unleash them and their potential um, to embed sustainability thinking an inclusive sustainable supply chain perspective, um, inclusive sustainable product perspective into how they work on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, I don't, if you're trying to police safety, quality or now sustainability into a business, it'll only go so far. And that's why I think if you, if you look at the parallel in, in the safety agenda and you follow the Bradley curve, Companies become truly world-class on safety when they're in that interdependency phase at the end of it. My aspiration has to put sustainability into the same perspective so that people embed it in what they do on a day-to-day -day basis because they know that that creation of shared value is an opportunity um, that will drive not just their business forward but their broad societal contribution forward as well. And that's incredibly engaging for people to come and work with. I'm fortunate in sustainability. Um, I think probably pro rata we get more applications for sustainability jobs than anything else, <laughs> which is great. Yeah. And, and I'm sure that many of my peers um, you know, would say the same. Um, but that's because you get to do really exciting things and you get to work with you know, creative, innovative people. And most importantly for me, is you get to make a difference. I mean, I'm now working with many of our brand teams um, about how our consumer-facing brands tackle questions of sustainability. And this isn't about cause-related marketing. This is about creating consumer movements that embed or embody what the millennial generation and many, many more um, want to see. Um, for their futures, which is why brands like Smirnoff are doing phenomenal work on inclusive agendas, inclusive societies, um, you know, gender empowerment in the music scene in, in, in New York, or um, uh, here, in, here in the UK in the work they've done on the We're Open campaign about um, deaf dancing or uh, the LGBT agenda. You know, for a brand like that to own an issue such as inclusive society, and want to make real impact, measurable impact, is you know, hugely empowering. And you just think, gosh, that's more. Um, you know, that, 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 that's more than I could ever hope to deliver individually. But it's because the people who work for that brand want to make a real impact and, and, and create and support a much more inclusive society for the world. And um, you mentioned kind of a lot of people wanting, you know, applying to a sustainability area for jobs, which is brilliant. And in terms of your job um, and the fact, you know, you have been kind of in Kenya for the last week or two and work and stuff, um, I, I take it, I ask this question to everyone and I always get the same answer. There's no, there's no typical day, but a typical work day for you, is it, is it kind of you're, you're clocking off at five? Is it, are you able to kind of um, separate the work, the work life from the when time with the family and whatnot? Um, I, you know, I, I think I think work-life balance is hugely important. Mm. Um, 
and I think sometimes, you know, it does. It is a struggle. It, it can it can be tough to get that balance. But actually, you know, I think if you don't have that balance, um, then you don't have the energy to give both to the work side of the equation and to the family side of the equation. So I mean, I tend to be in the office early in the morning um, because it suit it suits me to be able to make phone calls and, and have conversations with the team in Singapore, for example, first mm. thing in the morning. Um, but also, you know, then t- there is no typical day, it depends you know, where you are in the world and, um, and on what is going on. Um, but I like to make certain that I get some time um, in the evening, uh, get out on the bike, play a bit of golf, but you know, do something different because you, uh, you need to have that energy. Um, in order to give of your best to both and you owe it to your family and to the business to give of your best so keeping that balance tough as it might be is important which is why I got off the plane from Kenya at something like 4.30 in the morning on Friday I still managed to go for a run in the Oxfordshire countryside despite it being about 5 degrees <laughs> and darn cold quite the culture change um, there yeah. and, and then I had long conversations about Davos in January of next year so you know that, that's a sort of a typical day if there is ever a typical day <laughs> okay and through, um, throughout your career um, this is quite an open question and a blunt question but what's the best bit of advice you've received uh, best bit of advice I've ever received Remember that people run processes, not the other way around. Um, and it's something I hold true all the time. Um, I think a lot of oftentimes in business, we resort to process because it's a way of having confidence that something will happen. Unfortunately, sometimes those processes are designed in isolation. And in theory, on paper, they sound great. And... The trouble is, in practice, that doesn't always work because you have to remember that people run processes and, and people are motivated um, by many, many different things. And so you need to design your process around people as much as around the outcome you want to create. And I, th- I look at sustainability these days and think, you know, it, it is a people-centric conversation. If we lose track of the fact that at the heart of the sustainable development goals are people's futures, people's lives, their families' lives. And we put into practice theoretical models that people don't relate to or don't appreciate the value they can create from them, then actually the chance of success is slim. I think that's yeah. I think that's a very crucial piece of advice. I mean, my my opinion doesn't have much weight, but I think a lot of people that I speak to, I think, would wholly resonate with that and you mentioned sustainable development goals and it seems I can't uh, talk to anyone or write a piece about sustainability without them or Brexit or Trump um, kind of cropping up and as uncertain as Brexit and Trump are business now has those goals in place they have something to drive towards there's also the Paris Agreement it's it's into force now and there's also some other business based initiatives like the science based targets Mm -hmm. Would you say it's probably the most enabling time there has been for sustainability? And also, in regards to, I mean, the business case for SDGs is probably quite clear, but for like stuff like science-based targets, and especially the Paris Agreement, which is a global agreement, what does that mean for business? I think we, we have the clearest signals ever of you know, the external environment that we as a business exist in. 
Um, and that framework is pretty clear. Um, you know, be it the Paris Agreement, be it SDGs, whatever. That framework for us to operate in is clear. What is slightly more difficult, however, is confidence in the policy environment that starts to emerge. Because one of the things that um, business really values is a degree of predictability about the policy framework that then supports medium to long-term investment. For example, we've, I think in Scotland alone, we've spent order of magnitude £150 million on sustainable energy. Having confidence that the policy environment that our sites and our business exists in will continue to support that investment and further investment in the future is really critical as a trigger to more investment. Um, my time in Africa recently was spent thinking about how does government policy um, join up effectively to support medium-term agendas. And by that I mean policy around agricultural strategy, water strategy in terms of landscape management, the way products are treated in the fiscal policy. Um, all of those things fit together in terms of contributing towards our ability to deliver on the Paris Agreement or the Sustainable Development Goals. And the challenge sometimes is seeing joined up public policy across all of those areas that complements and preferably creates carrots as well as sticks to move the conversation forward. Because without that, our experience, my experience, is that one side of policy can be supportive, but another can be hugely damaging. And that makes it very difficult for business to... Um, look forward and invest at scale in a way that um, businesses are being asked to in order to support the delivery of the sustainable development goals. And, and to go back to my, my point, if, if, if all we're looking for is a smallish shift in how business moves forward to make certain that we leverage the trillions of, of pounds that business invests every year to create jobs, to create growth, to add greater livelihoods into communities, then having confidence um, reasonable confidence, we don't want it all, but reasonable confidence in what future policy states will look like is hugely important in terms of enabling us to invest at scale to deliver that supportive growth. Without that, then the duty that we also have to our investors and shareholders um, it, it might make people more conservative. And that's why this piece around collaboration, the Sustainable Development Goals, still remains a tough nut to crack. Now, collaboration is not just about working together side by side to deliver a project. It's also about working collectively to, to jointly create the conditions required for success in the future. Um, doing a joint project is relatively easy. I say relatively easy. If you can create shared goals and a shared agenda and shared ways of working... Um, and accept that you come at things from a different perspective, then you can make that happen. I managed to do that with the cocoa work. We're doing it similarly now with Diageo smallholder farmer work in, in many parts of Africa. But co collaboratively creating the conditions for success is a higher-level discussion, and I think harder to crack. And yet we absolutely have to crack that one, because that's where the policy environment, the business agenda, and the civil society 
goals all have to come together and we have to work hard to make that um, to, to make that collaborative work there be more effective I think so so would you say that these kind of global goals that are in place and the global mechanisms are, are kind of changing what it means to be a sustainable leader from one that's the kind of the visionary to, to drive a business down a path to one that will now have to kind of reach across sector or even out to, to rivals to really push um, push the agenda to the to the whole population oh absolutely absolutely we can't for me one of the key things is sustainability inside one business is not um, cannot be an isolated or a siloed conversation even within our business you can't have sustainability in, in supply chain that doesn't connect to sustainability in our brands or in sustainability in how we operate as a, as a broad PLC the same is true around the SDGs um, you know, I think sustainability leaders have to be um, you know, brilliant at making connections across different sectors across from every, everybody from um, a smallholder farmer to the president of a country. You have to be able to have conversations and create opportunities across that whole spectrum, um, be it public sector, civil society, private sector. Um, it's about trying to understand what will make each of those different stakeholders and, and actors tick and how can you join up the dots differently to create something better, to create a whole that is greater than some of the parts. And that also, and this, is, this for me is the critical part of this element of collaboration. We talk a lot about partnerships. In fact, the whole of the conference last week in Nairobi was about creating partnerships for, for development. But so far, there haven't been many really successful, really successful partnerships of those different stakeholder groups, multi-sectoral groups. And I think one of the things we all have to face into is for a partnership to be successful, we all have to be prepared to compromise just a little bit. Because if you only want to deliver what matters to you, then the chances of that being exactly what matters to everybody else is fairly small. Whereas if we're all prepared to compromise a little bit, then the ability to get that collaboration and that partnership truly working, um, I think is, is suddenly there. Um, and so part of the challenge is, is how, do you comp how do you create the shared vision? And how do you create the little bit of compromise that means everybody can continue to buy into that vision, vision and strive for its delivery? in the medium to long term. Um, and compromise is tough. Compromise is tough for people in business. It's not the normal phrase. Mm. Compromise is tough, is tough for, for, for policy makers because it's not the normal phrase. Compromise is tough for people in civil society. It's not the normal phrase. And yet I think we all have to compromise if we're going to achieve the greater goal by working more effectively together. And um, clearly that's something that Diageo is striving towards. And because um, you, you know you do get the sense that this is one company that does have that um, that value share at, at the heart. I mean, just looking around this, we're we're literally just in a, a meeting room, and the, the walls are kind of um, littered with like employee engagement and how to create this great working environment. So I suppose um, just to finish off, my last question is: working in a place like Diageo, like 
I suppose what do you enjoy the most? I mean, Christmas is coming up. Is it? Is it? You know, you're able to get a couple of free bottles to, to wrap up as presents, or what's what's the benefits of working it for you? No, the benefits of working at the Edge, yeah, I mean, look, great products aside, um, and great products in chocolate in Cadbury. I've been very fortunate in the companies I've worked for. Um, products aside, what's exciting about Diageo is everybody really is. Innovation is at the heart of what we do. And there are some really brilliantly creative people um, who work in every part of our business. You know, the guy who runs our biggest bioenergy plant up in Scotland is a fantastic expert and hugely passionate about what he does. If I need to know anything about bioenergy, I just pick up the phone to Duncan and say, How's it going today? And you know, we've got people embedded in, in, in our business all over the world with that sort of passion and enthusiasm for, the, for what they do. Um, uh, I mentioned before our Smirnoff team. Um, they have somebody whose who's key role as a brand manager is to think about gender and gender equality. Um, and when I was in Africa, I've got those people who, were, who spend all their time um, with smallholder farmers and their communities trying to understand what that community wants to deliver for itself and therefore what can we do to help it deliver that and, and create that shared value. Now, three simple examples, but Diageo is full of people who have that passion for the business, that passion for what they do and, and a passion for creating shared value. Um, we, we have an employee, employee engagement approach that really involves people, um, be it through our Green IQ scheme that gets everybody involved in our environmental agenda or through our um, Learning for Life programme which gets um, young people into a job from an environment where they've probably never, you know, they've struggled to get into jobs, they've never had a job. Employees within Diageo volunteer and want to be part of that and want to mentor and support the people because they're hugely passionate about um, doing a great job and making a difference in what they do. Um, so. Products aside, working with people who are enthusiastic, full of energy, thoughtful, creative, passionate about what they do, is just the best thing about working for Diageo. Okay, well, the fact you had to um, land from a from a flight at four thirty on Friday probably means you have a, a lot to catch up on. So I don't want to I don't want to keep you uh, for much longer. Um, but. So thank you very much, David, for, for giving me the opportunity to have this chat. And you are obviously speaking at our SLF um, event in January, and I'm sure I'll be seeing you then. And also, hopefully, some of our listeners will uh, come along and say hello. So again, thank you very much for your time. Thanks, Matt. I look forward to seeing you in January. Cheers.